tell me more about how his eyes look, Simon. <laughs> it's almost as if Simon enjoys being chastised by Baz or something. Like, is this how you describe your enemies? It's really not. Hot. Yeah, like, basically. <laughs> I feel like I just want to be, like, quote-unquote enemies for every time we bring up Baz. You want to get sexy? Yeah, let's get to the sexy stuff. Hello, and welcome to Escape from Reality, a podcast where two queer IRL witches read Wayward Son by Rainbow Rowell and talk about it. I am Lark Malachi Gray. And I am Jesse Blount. And today we are talking about the first four chapters of this book, starting off with, hilariously, the epilogue. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but it all makes sense because uh, the epilogue is just their hero the hero's journey is over y'all the evil has been defeated both of them simon snow comma chosen one is dead long live simon snow first chapter we we start off really strong with baz watching his boyfriend just in a complete depression spiral and it fucking sucks chapter two simon is thinking about breaking up with baz because of said depression spiral baz is outwardly thriving and simon is not He's making a lot of assumptions because there's not a lot of communication between these two. Thankfully, Penny burst in at the exact moment that Simon was about to give his big breakup speech to tell them about vacation! Surprise American <laughs> vacation! Don't stop believing! Okay. <laughs> uh, chapter three. Penny is the only one keeping this time together. Damn it. Uh, actually, she just assumed that trying to be a normal teen, doing normal teen stuff would make everything normal with, you know, Simon, which, um, my sweet summer child, your friend lost, like, both his adult family members and is not dealt with the emotional fallout of not having magic and not being the chosen one. So Penny decided that it's time to take that midnight train going anywhere. I mean, an airplane to America. Heck Yes. Well done. That was so, like, succinct and poetic. Thank you. Uh, So, you know what? Spoiler warning. We're spoiling the rest of the series as of now. Uh, So if you... I feel like we've given a lot of warning. But if you have not yet finished both books, you're going to want to do that ASAP. Probably this episode, very little from the next book that we would possibly spoil. So you're probably actually okay for this one. Yeah, I don't have... I don't think I have anything in my notes that talks about kind of the series as a whole. No, me either. But yeah, or if you don't care about being spoiled, which I know some people don't, um, especially if you're a person who's just like, okay, but do Simon and Bass get to stay together? <laughs> um, which I understand because I definitely, that's why I was just like, okay, but fucking tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yep. Uh, so it's up to you. All right. With that, we will enter... Easy come, easy go, where we talk about everything that doesn't go anywhere else. Do you want to start? Yeah, uh, I think beginning this book with an, epi- with, with an epilogue is a bold narrative choice, but I actually am really here for it. <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about it because it also ends with a prologue, which is something that has like caught me up every single time that I've read this book. So like, please, let's let's talk about this narrative choice. 
Um, okay, so I think, at least for me, we get this as in, we get the epilogue first, kind of because, like, I think a, a little bit playing with the idea that, like, Simon's big defeat of the fucking mage and the humdrum is, like, the end of his story. Because we get, we get a legit epilogue at the end of Carry On. Mm-hmm. Um, but here, since a whole lot of the themes of the book is sort of dealing with the fallout of just having to keep living after all of this the huge epic battle and you know and being like well you still gotta live the rest of your life now and it's like what (laughs) Mm -hmm. that i think i think like starting at the end is just sort of like showing that like it's not really the end like we're Mm -hmm. starting at the epilogue but then we have like however many chapters of this book yeah i think that makes a lot of sense actually because when i was thinking about it earlier i was still sort of like I don't, I don't think I get it. But if we think about the epilogue as being sort of Simon's point of view, and he's like, I never thought past the end of the war, the end of the humdrum. I never thought that I would make it past this. Like, his state, his emotional state makes so much sense if he's entering it from a position of like, my story is done. Like, what am I still doing here? Yeah, yeah. And I think well, that's definitely something that I have kind of further in my notes for us to kind of dig deep into. But yeah, so I think it's just sort of like, even like the structure of the book is like setting us up to kind of be in the mind frame of being like, now what? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sticking with the, you know, talking about the narrative Anyone who's listened to The Gaily Prophet knows how we feel about exposition. And I, like, the exposition, the, like, catching us up on what happened in the last book, in case you didn't reread it before you read this book, is beautiful. It's exquisitely done. And I just want to, you know, take a moment to appreciate good fucking writing yeah, it's like, I think I wouldn't even necessarily consider it exposition because it is really just setting up, like, where everyone's at from last book to this book, which is a very different place than at the end of Carry On, where it's like, showstopper, you know, big swelling music, musical ending, where it's like, they get together and it's like, we made it and we're going to kiss on the mm-hmm. dance floor and it's going to be real cute. Yeah. I mean, I think it definitely counts as narrative exposition. It's serving the function of, you know, what happened? What backstory do we need to be reminded of? But it's just so seamlessly woven in. And and I think partly because it's not, it's not expressed like it's reminding us. It's just worked into what the characters are thinking. The only piece, there's one example of it being like the characters are telling us something that we need and it's when we get an aside to tell us that Lucy is Agatha's dog. That is the closest thing that we get. To. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's not even a problem, you know? Like Yeah. It literally it's like bracketed by M dashes and it just says Agatha's little dog and then it continues. I didn't even catch that because I was still just thinking about how awkward that's going to be if Simon ever figures out that, like, (laughs) Agatha named her dog after his mom. (laughs) Like, I just think that's going to be weird. 
yeah. But yeah, so I just have a couple examples if you're willing to entertain my yeah. talking about exposition. I okay. sure am. So we start off with this reminder that like, and I think also part of what this does too is like if you never read Carry On and for some reason you're just reading this book, like here's everything you need to know. So reminding us that Simon and Baz are a couple, we just get this like, Baz once told him that everything was a story was a story and that Simon was the hero. They'd been dancing at the time, touching. Baz was looking at Simon like anything was possible now, like love was inevitable. And it's like, here you go, you need to know that these that these boys are dating. Here like but it doesn't feel like that, right? Yeah. It doesn't feel like that at all. Um Simon lost his magic. We get in this passage where Simon yells at Penny for casting a spell on him without his consent. And calls it uh, your, like he said, I'll tell you if I want your magic. And it says her magic, my magic. It wasn't very long ago that all the magic was his. He was the one, wasn't he? The most, the magicist. So it's like, Mm -hmm. Simon doesn't have magic anymore. Um, Also worked into that is the fact that Simon was a chosen one. Uh, We get some backstory on Baz. Like he avenged his mother. He solved a mystery. He proved himself right that the mage was evil and that Simon was a fraud as a chosen one. So yeah, and it just... Actually, maybe my favorite piece is when Penny's like, we're going to surprise Agatha, and Baz says, surprise, it's your ex-boyfriend and his boyfriend and that girl you never liked very much. (laughs) Which is both hilarious in character and tells us exactly what we need to know about the dynamic of that friend group in case we forgot or never read carry on that that actually that actually is that is that is actually such a great line uh i also love just penny reflecting on that eb used to treat simon like he was one of her goats and it's just like oh no my heart (laughs) yeah so i just love good writing yeah yeah i I guess because i was like just thinking about it because it's like yeah i guess not every book you're gonna like reread a million times before you read the second one especially if it's like coming out or if you're like me and you like read one book in a series and then you put it on hold at the library but there's like 80 fuck is 84 fucking holds ahead of you and so six months later and like eight books later it's like here's a book too and i'm like what even happened (laughs) (laughs) i've completely forgot how this book ended (laughs) yep uh so yeah if that was happening i would definitely be caught up with what had happened and also again just sad about ab all over again i know i know yeah what do you have next uh i just want to point out about penny and baz just being their best nerd selves just being real nerdy just we just study all the time and it's like oh you guys are those people in class (laughs) I mean, also part of it is Simon Watch, but. Yeah, I love knowing that they're thriving, that they both are like, fuck yeah, university. I don't know how they're thriving, considering that their education seems a little lacking in a lot of things that you maybe need to thrive at university, but. I mean, I think, yes. I don't know. I feel like given Penny and Baz's family, they both had some excellent tutoring. That's probably true. Um, I don't think that I can overstate how much I love the scene where Baz is trying to get Penny to understand that Agatha doesn't like her. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just love that 
Penny, so am, and it's like, no, you're wrong. And it's like, I think you're both kind of right, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that Penny or that Agatha tolerates, like, sort of fondly tolerates Penny, but I don't think that Agatha would be missing anything at all if she and Penny never talked again. Yeah. But Penny's not going to let that happen. <laughs> is the thing. She is not. <laughs> I just love the part where Penny's like, she likes me and Baz is, and she's like, she never texts me back. And Baz is like, because she doesn't like you. <laughs> I think I just love it because I just, sometimes you just need a, a mean gay friend. <laughs> and I think that, as someone who has, I think, in fact, several mean gay friends. <laughs> I'm just like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. Yep. All right, what do you have next? There's a lot of musical references in these in these short span of chapters. Uh, but I also just want to, like, LOL at the, like, glimpse of not depression we get from Simon as being like, oh, we could, like, be on a highway and like we're all wearing sunglasses in a convertible and like listening to the doors and I'm like lol <laughs> it's so <laughs> precious um also definitely a thing that I think is maybe not quite that but like that sort of vibe being a like I definitely feel that way about things as a teenager mm-hmm. and I feel like sometimes you like watch a movie like Perks of Being a Wallflower and they'll have a scene like that where it's like we're just driving or like listen to this like really like the music is just really hitting the vibes of the situation. And I'm just like, wow, this is, mm-hmm. this is, this is a scene. Okay. <laughs> like the, uh, Ooh, wish Alanis Morissette music video is that where there's four of her and they're on oh, a road trip. Uh, hand in my pocket. Yeah. Wow. Why do I know that so quickly? <laughs> oh my God. Cause you're a good gay. A plus. <laughs> I do a lot of Alanis Morissette as a as a preteen and teen. Me too. <laughs> God, that album came out at the perfect time for me emotionally. All right, so this is my last thing for this section. Uh, is also my appreciation for Penny is like we're going on vacation slash to like check on Agatha, and she's sort of bouncing. She's her Penny thing, right? She's like bouncing between the two things to just be like, which one of these is going to land to convince you that you have to come with me on this this trip? Uh, and Baz points that out to her by asking, is this a holiday or an intervention? Which I think is a great line. <laughs> <laughs> it is a good line. Also, he's asking if it's an intervention for Agatha, but it's clearly an intervention for Simon. Uh, yeah, clearly. Um... My last thing is that Penny's line about relaxation is the most insidious humdrum is basically, uh, I've never heard a more hashtag Virgo mood in my entire life. (laughs) And I say this with all of the love to all of our Virgo listeners. It's just, I'm married to a Virgo. So I am (laughs) deeply aware. (laughs) Yeah, I am uh, married to a Virgo moon, and uh, we have an ongoing conversation about the fact that the word productive is banned from our conversations about our weekends. (laughs) Uh, I wish, I wish, (laughs) one day. (laughs) All right. 
Welcome to I See a Little Silhouette of a Man, where we talk about character development. So Simon, obviously, will dig more into like his depression in Face the Truth, where the triggering things go. But, you know, the overall gist of his character development is Simon is very, very depressed. The only... Uh, sort of character developy thing that's not that that I noted is that Penny's like I know a spell that'll make your wings disappear and Simon has this visceral reaction where he says I don't want them gone and then to us is like that's a lie I want them gone I'm gonna get them removed I don't know why I haven't done it already it doesn't make any sense and we're like one of one of these statements was true and it definitely isn't the part where you want to get rid of your wings right and the fact that he like is not really able to like even say to himself why he's like but i'm just gonna wait you know Mm -hmm. and it's like why why do you think that is (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) so yeah yeah do you have anything about simon um yes i do um is that i think this is maybe something that i feel like simon has constructed this image of Baz in his head that's basically like he is a perfect gay Disney prince and not the like sort of snooty rich kid lovesick nerd that he actually is and obviously part of that is also the depression but I think I just feel like it's like you you have this image in your head of something you're in a relationship with you could just like you just need to be communicating better you know because he also thinks that Baz is in love with like Simon Snow comma chosen one but it's like, right. no, he's in love with Simon Snow, the person yeah. who has ginormous dragon wings. <laughs> and a goofy fucking tail. And a goofy tail, you know? It's like, oh, my boys, just, you have to talk to one. Which, I mean, I guess, who 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 has been out here uh, being an example of and teaching Simon emotional intelligence? True. You know? He is... He was basically the hilt of the mage's sword, essentially. Like, he is the weapon. And now it's just like, you have to be a person now. And it's like, oh, you know, some things about being a person you don't know yet. Yeah. I want to, can we make a note to circle back to this when we talk about his depression, actually? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I definitely think there's more to explore there. Okay. Yeah, we talk about that more when we get to there. Do you have more, Simon? No. Uh, I have a little bit about just Simon and Baz's relationship. Okay. Uh, and by a little bit, I mean I have the line uh, where Baz is going out to get curry and asks Simon if he wants anything, and Simon doesn't respond. And Baz says, A month ago, I would have walked to the sofa and touched his shoulder. Three months ago, I would have dropped a kiss on his cheek. Last September, I would have had m- to pull my mouth away from his to ask the question, and he might not have let me finish. The writing. The writing. <laughs> it's so good. It's so good. It's so... It does so much in that in that sentences, sentence, I don't have my book pulled up. Uh, sentences. Three, yeah. It's like three short sentences. Yeah. It's, right, it's so succinct and it does, it tells us everything. And it's like you, you watch their relationship devolve in front of your eyes just, just in the course of reading, you know, 50 words or whatever. Yeah. It's incredible. My sad nerd. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's 
It's so good, but it's so br- it's so brutal. You're just like Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. Uh, did you want to talk about Baz? I do want to talk about Baz. Cool. What do you have first about him? My my sad Disney prince. Um, it's just kind of like you know he he admits that he is also in his element, just being a student, doing the whole being a good student thing. But it's just like. I'm imagining it must be very hard to be balancing your school, like your like first year of college, and also this like right devolving romantic relationship, and just like maybe just like the feeling of him kind of waiting for like Simon to not be like this or whatever, or just he's ha- he's having a rough time. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I think that I think that school is a distraction. I think it's a coping mechanism for Baz. I think it always has been, you know he's excelling at school because it's the thing in his life that he has control over mm-hmm. as uh as he says that's what bunts and i do that's who we are and i think he's right yeah i think i had that point highlighted because i'm like yep um the other thing i had about baz is this observation of simon's that everything that happened in the previous book made baz more of who he was meant to be says he proved himself as a man and as a magician which I think is really beautiful. I think that it's obviously through Simon's lens of, you know, where Baz is at, but I also think that it's true in a lot of ways. I don't think necessarily that Baz has, like, internalized that yet, but, like, maybe in a year or two, he really is going to look back at this and see what a major, like, period of growth he was in in, you know, the time following that as he, like even in the midst of, you know, being distracted by Simon and everything that Simon's going through, Baz is now, he's an adult. Like, I think we saw that at his Leavers ball in the last book when he sort of talked to his mom and was like, I'm not sorry that I'm alive and I'm going to do my thing. And I think you would be proud of me. And if you wouldn't be, you should be. Yeah. And like Baz is like living a life where there have been, so many things that were weighing him down during his time at Watford that are not. And I think it's sometimes easy to kind of not really realize that you're just kind of operating without having those, those sort of like emotional weights until it's like you're looking back and you're like, oh yeah, huh. Mm-hmm. It's really great that I'm not, I've had this closure about my mom and just don't have to deal with fucking bullshit at Watford and the old families aren't using him as a pawn to yeah. take down Simon Snow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, having said that, I still think that I think that Simon's depression spiral is maybe not something he could have anticipated as, you know, in their relationship. And which is, I mean, hard because it's like, you don't really know when mental health is gonna mental health issues are gonna happen especially after you know doing all the fucked up shit simon had to do Mm -hmm. (laughs) and carry on and i think i think i just keep going back to baz's line of like i've loved him through worse (sighs) and i'm just like uh um, i'm just like it doesn't have to be this and i mean it's not and not to say that like and I was thinking, it's like, it, I'm not saying it's a bad thing for Bast to be understandably sticking by Simon when he is, like, having this rough time. But I feel like saying that I've 
I've loved him through worse is just, I don't know. It seems like a very, it just feels very defeated. It just feels, it just feels deeply sad. I mean, he says, I've loved him hopelessly. So what's a little less hope? And that is definitely a defeated statement. Yeah. So yeah, Baz, I mean, not doing as great as, I mean, better, I think, also than last year. But yeah. Mm -hmm. So Penny? Yeah. I wrote that Penny is trying so hard to fix things by being the okayest, which is something I deeply relate to. (laughs) And it is exhausting. And I'm like, no, Penny, don't, 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 just don't do it. It's (laughs) not it's not worth it yeah i literally just have penny puts a lot of pressure on herself yeah and yeah i mean i definitely understand the impulse but i was just like wow i'm already exhausted reading your chapter Penny. it's like someone has to fix this and it's like it's not it's not really a single person solution to what's happening no no and it's i mean yeah she's like i should have seen this coming and it's like well what would you have done if you had seen it coming like what this is not your fault penny yeah i mean having said that i actually do think that her being like let's just get the fuck out complete new change of scenery and that's a good idea no i agree yeah vacation can definitely function as a a reset sometimes not always, but sometimes it can work to just get get out of your rut, you know? Yeah. That you come back to things with new perspective. Yeah. Welcome to Face the Truth, where we talk about things that are fucked up. Where shall we start? Uh, I have one thing about Penny, and then the rest of it is all about Simon's depression. Okay. Do you want to do your Penny thing first? Yeah. Um, it's really it really isn't cool that Penny has like seemingly got into a habit of casting magic on Simon's wing without his consent, and by mm. not cool, I mean very terrible. Don't. That's not. That's not great. Not a good look. So. Yeah. Yeah. Bodily autonomy is important. Hell yeah. Uh yeah, my my whole section here is also about Simon's depression. So Okay, so yeah, I guess let's circle back to what you were saying about sort of Simon and Baz needing to communicate and like Simon's idea of who Baz is is like and how Baz feels about him is affected by the fact that they're not communicating. I think you're totally right that they're not communicating, but I also don't know that it would help if they were, because I don't think that Simon is in a place right now to be able to believe anything that he hears from Baz. Or even if he believes it, I feel like you can believe someone and still think that they're wrong. Like, if it's about you, the thing that you believe, you know, he can be like, I believe that Baz loves me and thinks that he wants to be here. But like, he's wrong that he wants to be here is like a real depression mood. Yeah, I actually I actually do have also I have assuming the worst is also a hashtag depression mood, mm-hmm. you know, which I think also kind of plays back into Simon's idea that like Baz is doing so great 
and like he's just and then simon himself is just this like gut crud on the bottom of his shoe that like you know baz like despises him or whatever you know and it's just that like that's just how depression is <laughs> a lot of the times yeah what else do you have i don't think this gets brought up again in this book i don't remember i did not reread this book before we started this part of the podcast <laughs> Uh, but, uh, we get some implied alcohol dependency in these, mm. in this, these chapters, um, which is also just really goes hand in hand with, with the depression spiral as someone who's definitely drank a lot through my depression spirals. I'm like, yeah, uh, chip, chips and beer diet. <laughs> I know, I'm deeply aware how you're like. Might as well just feel numb anyway. Yeah. I mean, they don't, it doesn't say, I mean, there are some assumptions that Simon is just always having a like cider in his hand and which is still just kind of like not great. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's self-medicating. Absolutely. I feel like that's part of what's good about the fact that they're going to America is he's too young to drink. I mean, that has stopped literally any of us, but yes, he can't just go into a store and buy a six pack. Yeah. Well, I mean, he, he doesn't have, I think, the the resources or like the knowledge of how to skirt that necessarily. So that is true. That is yeah. that is very true. I just I don't know why I just keep thinking about this, but if, it also feels a little bit like where Simon is at is sort of like where we find Buffy in season six. Mm-hmm. I was thinking the same thing. Um, even though like Simon hasn't physically died, he's sort of like spiritually and metaphorically died. Like he's lost his like sense of purpose and now has to just live kind of like a, I mean like essentially like a regular person. Like he's, he can't perform magic even though he is still magic um, despite mm-hmm. what he thinks to himself. Um, and you know, he's just, or was just going to university, you know, and it's sort of like i think both a like loss of like self and purpose just i mean it's not like someone wasn't also depressed in carry on but he had this sort of overarching distraction of i have a purpose and a like basically a way to go about like how i think you know like what is making me get up and go through the day which is like this explicit purpose Mm-hmm. And that I'm probably not going to live through because suicide ideation and also the incredible danger of what's happening, you know? And so now it's, I don't know. I think we decided to call it like chosen one death resignation, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. I feel like I feel this whole chapter of Simon's just gives me like once more with, with feeling like just give me something to sing about vibes. And it's just like. You just kind of have to live like, you know, like we're all doing. <laughs> the hardest thing in this world is to live in it. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I think you're right. Because like I was thinking about, right, like Buffy's, I think it's in the episode before Buffy's sort of conversation with Spike where she's like, I was done. I don't understand why I'm here. And I think that really is where Simon's at is like, I did what I was brought into this world to do and it doesn't it doesn't make sense that I'm still here. Mm-hmm. And I think that's worsened by the fact that he thinks that he wasn't the chosen one. 
like he thinks it was all a lie because we get in that sort of passage where he's talking about how wonderful Baz is um he says it's like dating someone out of a legend and then he says I used to be someone out of a legend I was foretold you know I used to be part of the oral tradition so it's not it's like this sort of retroactive rewriting of everything that he understood to be true about himself in addition to the fact that he never planned for an after yeah which is which is really unfortunate because it whether or not simon is the foretold chosen one is i think it's just hard because i feel like big picture the fact that simon has done all this fucking heroic shit and with circumstances outside of his control like you know, being linked to the humdrum, but then having to like be the only really one to be able to like defeat the humdrum means that besides maybe like, right, some old ass poetry saying, you know, you know, maybe he is or is not like the chosen one. Like he's still a big, you know, he's still a big hero. He did all, he did the hero shit, you know, and saved the day in the end, you know, but just like when you're depressed or, whatever and you're like don't say nice things about me it was just luck or whatever i didn't actually do anything it's kind of like he's not in a place to kind of think of it like that he's more a place to be like i was a fraud the whole time and now i'm just a loser now you know yep uh yeah so i also had so we get this line from baz you know he and penny go to school they study it says that's what Bunsen and i do that's who we are and then from simon we get this passage about how he has no plans and no promise and he says that's what i am with the same sort of italics emphasis on that like that's you know he also says when someone fucks up absolutely everything that person is an absolute fuck up like his sense of self right now is just so terrible like so sad this book is so sad yeah this book is very sad which is maybe (laughs) why it is the divisive book in the series because it is there's a lot of fun things and a lot of good things there's a lot of very sad things and the saddest thing is simon and baz's relationship and simon's just painfully low self-esteem yeah it's gonna be rough for us to bring our trademark uh humor i think to the yeah the gay word son section of escape from reality yeah i feel like a lot of this hits a little bit too close to home too so it's hard to be like lol when you have z- negative self-esteem and only what you can do for people hashtag gifted children problems whatever um but it is also like i feel like a lot of the memes about like depressed gifted children it's also a little bit i think happening with simon just because i think it's easy for him to think about that the heroic part of him was the magic he could do and not like just his own innate self of being a good person and not walking away from doing the hard shit of being a hero which is the really yeah. heroic things he's just like i don't have any magic i did all the th- and it's like oh my sweet baby yeah it is very much like kids who were got all their self-esteem for being good in school and they leave school and you're like wait what how do i how do i self-esteem now yeah 
Welcome to Caught in a Landslide, where we rant about stuff, which is still not a happy section here. (sighs) Yeah, my first thing is that Simon is leaving Baz because he thinks that he has to because he's making Baz suffer and he fucking says, I'll be the one to do it. I can handle pain. Ah, no, fuck. I hate it so much. Yes, I don't, I don't, I don't like it. Yeah. No, it's just, uh, but you don't have to. I know. Welcome to I'm Just a Poor Boy, where we talk about ways that you can support this podcast. Um, and I just want to start by saying thank you to all of our patrons. Uh, I know we haven't been like thanking each patron as they join for a while because I don't know which podcast to thank everyone on because there's no way I can have you like choose which podcast you're coming from. But that doesn't mean that we're not like the most grateful. You are all so wonderful and we literally couldn't be doing this without you. So speaking of patrons, I'm going to talk about Patreon for a minute here because we're like 20 patrons away from meeting our next goal, which is making $1,717.17 a month, (laughs) (laughs) which is a totally arbitrary goal. Uh, I just like it because it's funny. But when we meet it, I am going to be mailing all of our patrons a hashtag ruthless Patreon inside joke sticker. Mm, that's so cool. Yeah. Um. So I just want to say, like, if you celebrate a gift giving holiday, maybe this is the time to, like, ask for a subscription or gift someone a subscription or use the check from your wayward dad that, you know, he gives you tucked inside a generic holiday card every year to gift yourself a subscription because it's like the gift that keeps on giving. And Jesse's going to relate to you some ways that it does that. Yeah, so there's a variety of escape from reality things that you can get on Patreon. We often cut a lot of very funny content for the episodes that we release for free that is added in on Patreon, so you get extra off-topic conversations between uh, Lark and I, which I know that you really want. We also release episodes early for folks on Patreon. Um, we also have a semi-regular mini escape from reality called Gaycation from Reality, where we read and talk about the Simon Snow fanfic from the book Fangirl. We also have up for you uh, dramatic reading of the Kiss chapter from Carry On, fanfiction that I've, ri- that I've written in the Simon Snow universe, and of course, sometimes sexy comics by our very own comic artist, Theo Julian Forrester. And all this can be yours for three easy payments <laughs> a month. <laughs> wow, why, do I, why don't I remember how much the Patreon is? It's $7 a month. Or $21 a month if you want, but you get the same thing at both tiers. Because we recognize that queer people are broke. (laughs) Yep. Uh, And we hate capitalism, so... Also that. Also, you can pay, like, for a year all at once if you do want to, like, 
give it to someone as a gift. You don't have to be paying monthly for that. And if you're with any of your family this year that you despise, you should um, take things out of their house and sell it on eBay. And then you too can afford. (laughs) Wow, I really, I mean. No, I fucking love the things you come up with for ways (laughs) that people can join our Patreon. Be be gay, do crimes. Sell your grandparents' antiques on the internet. And then you too can. (laughs) (laughs) Subscribe to our Patreon and then, I don't know, buy yourself something else nice. Yeah, do it. Why not? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so if you want to look into all of that, head to patreon.com slash thegaylyprofit and you'll see it all. It's all there for you. Welcome to Sends Shivers Down My Spine, where we talk about sexy stuff, which is surprisingly abundant considering how sad these three chapters are. I feel like I only have one sexy thing because I realized I did not put in the obvious sexy things. So cool. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What is your one sexy thing? We get this line from Simon about Baz just being able to like grow a beard whenever. And then he is, Baz is never described as having a beard, or a gay mustache at all in the next two books. And I am deeply upset because (laughs) Baz should have a very gay mustache. I think it would look great on him. Just saying. Just a mustache, huh? I mean, mean, people like beards. That could be fine. I think it would be a very gay villain of him if he had like a goatee or something. But, you know. Baz should have like an immaculately sculpted like short but like you know with a with a fade beard Mm. i think he would look so hot no that's good that's a good point we do get to learn that he has a hairy chest though in the next book at least we get that yeah maybe some maybe maybe some stubbly baths i mean i feel like you really can't go wrong that's true like stubble aesthetic all right great (laughs) i could not let this pass no (laughs) that's true it's not fair that we never get that he would look hot um, yeah, all my stuff is also obviously about Baz because Simon spends a lot of time being like, he's just so hot. He's just, he's <laughs> so, I'm going to have to leave, but he's so hot. <laughs> great. Right. He says that there's no one like him. He's like, it's like dating someone out of a legend and he's dead handsome. Uh, he also tells us that Baz always looks like he's in an ad for expensive watches. <laughs> Even when he's not wearing a watch. Right? <laughs> I love it. Uh, yeah. Which is just like such a hot aesthetic too. And it's an aesthetic that I wish that I could like embody. But I'm just like, I have too many uh, sensory issues to wear the kinds of clothes that Baz owns. I've come to accept this about myself um and then simon's fucking fantasy about america involves (laughs) baz grumpy about the music in a convertible with his shirt unbuttoned down to his navel he's like baz is complaining but i am not because holy shit it's it's like at that point why is he even just unbutton the shirt just take off the shirt at that point (laughs) no because then it would like blow around that's fair i just Flung my crystal. Sorry. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's hot. It's hot. It's real hot. 
Um, I just realized I didn't put together a Kiss Kill Improvise, but we don't really meet anyone besides our big three, so I guess it's, like, narrowed down for us? I don't know. I mean, everyone's real sad, so it's really... <laughs> it's I know. really, like, improvise everyone having more therapy. <laughs> oh, yeah. Let's see. Okay, no, we're gonna go... I'm gonna go rogue on you. Right. Kiss Kill Improvise is a, this week it's a places edition. So <laughs> your options are London, California, and America. Wow, this is hard. Um, Obviously, I got to kill America because fuck this fucking place. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, Improvise with California, which should just be its own little uh, island nation. So, very, very happy for the island of California. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And I guess that means I am kissing London, which sounds great, because that is all I can afford to do. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Into it. Is this just fantasy? Welcome to Is This Just Fantasy, where we talk about magic and science and magical science. Uh, I'm really stretching the uh, health and health and science stuff. This is just random things that I okay, do cool. research on. <laughs> All right. So, uh, wait, do you, have any, do you have anything in this section? I have two things. Okay. All right. So, first off, uh, the... Maya Angelou quote that Simon is like, this is gonna, this is how I'm gonna start off my my big breakup speech, is attributed to, to Maya Angelou. It the exact quote that Simon used is not the exact quote from Maya Angelou. It's actually from Oprah, which is what I'm assuming is the talk show that he is referring to. Even though LOL, not just saying Oprah, but whatever. I found the clip of the scene. Where it's it's actually really wild. I gotta send it to you. It's from like 1997, and Oprah's having this like pajama party book club. <laughs> so <laughs> the scene the scene is like a very young, beautiful. I mean, o- Oprah is very beautiful. A very young Oprah lying in this giant like brass bed in her pajamas with Maya Angelou, who is also in a pair of pajamas. And they're talking about... <laughs> Are you sure this isn't, like, a fanfic that you read? <laughs> this, is not, this, is, this is not... This is not a fanfiction. I, I, I can text you. I can I can message you the video clip. It's very... It looks very luxurious. It is very strange. I will put Where the Oprah link in the show like, notes, everyone. Oprah is talking about uh, Maya Angelou's... Uh, one of her autobiographies, The Heart of a Woman, which is what they have been talking about, I guess. And Oprah's like, yeah, one of the biggest lessons I got from this book is that, you know, uh, when someone tells you who they are, believe them, essentially. Mm -hmm. Um, And then, like, Maya Angelou, like, you know, is, like, expounding on that and then kind of gives a sort of modified version of that. I can't tell if that is a quote from her autobiography or not, but I'm assuming the popularity of this quote is from this episode of Oprah. That makes sense. Yeah. Oprah's very good at making things popular. Yeah, because people be like, oh, yeah, like, so-and-so had this quote. And it's like, this is the internet. Did someone actually say that? Or are you just being like, someone wise, like Maya Angelou said this thing? Yeah. It is a good 
a good it's good though life lesson wise it's real good i mean truly yeah it yeah she definitely yeah okay well i can't wait to watch that clip it's very strange (laughs) (laughs) oprah's so fucking weird i love it yeah anyway um simon tells us that he thinks that Baz is not leaving him because he's hung up on honor because magicians get hung up on honor. And I think that's an interesting, you know, fact about magician culture. Yeah, because I feel like we don't. I'm like, okay. And this is, is this like some kind of like fairy tale blood pack. Like I've, you know, I must avenge you. I Like you've saved my life. Now I owe you like a life debt kind of deal. Like, I don't know. I imagine, yes. I imagine it plays out in lots of interesting ways. I imagine it makes divorces really messy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's like trying to imagine a fairy tale character getting a divorce. Exactly. Well, I got this ring from a literal fairy, so I don't know, like, how we're supposed to divide this up. We have a whole kingdom. Uh, Really can't split that, but, you know. Mm -hmm. What do you have next? We we do get a reference of a new critter of an orcupine, which LOL yeah. <laughs> on the wordplay there. It just sounds like a really spiky orc, which I also just appreciate. Mm-hmm. Um, though I have to say that IRL porcupines do not shoot their quills out. They just have a shit ton of quills on their butt and their tail and really the top half of their body. And they are just really, the quills are really long and they have a long enough reach with their tail to just swap you in the face with it or not you but the figurative figurative you also they're barbed which is why it's really hard to as simon describes pull one out with your teeth so i'm sure that that was hella painful yeah um because yeah barker pine quills irl are are barbed so are they really yeah it's like really fucked up it's like so like if an animal in the wild gets a quill like in its face or in its paw it like they, the animal can't pull it out. It just has to, like, pass through their bodies. Jeez. Yeah. Which is why I think one of the... F- I think... Who eats porcupines? Owls? And, like, some some other kind of animal... like Because, like, to eat a it's porcupine... A, a big cat, right? Isn't there yeah, a big cat that eats porcupines? Yeah, because they have quills of varying lengths all over the top half of their body, but not on their bellies. So you got to flip them over, mm-hmm. essentially. And, like, there's a kind of owl that does that and, like, one other animal. I don't remember what it was, so. Sorry, I need to remember what eats porcupines, so just give me a second. <laughs> I'm like, what is it? Factsking.com. Does that seem legit? Top eight predators of porcupines? That makes sense. I don't know. There's also whateats.com. <laughs> Man, I use DuckDuckGo now and I get the weirdest fucking search results. <laughs> There's a reason people use Google. <laughs> yeah, it's like weird that you just didn't get Wikipedia. I know. Uh, bobcats, bobcats and cougars and fishers. This doesn't say anything about owls. I didn't look it up before this episode. I just happen to know things about porcupines. So maybe that is incorrect. We're going to check one. We're going to check one more source. Because <laughs> I am not a biologist. I just pretend to be one on the airwaves <laughs> for, for you guys. <laughs> Number one predator, humans. I mean, duh, that's like every animal. That's every apex predator and most everything else on this globe. 
yeah, so it's mostly Alyssa's great horned owls. They're the only predators that feed on skunks also. Hmm. Uh, but mostly it's fishers and bobcats and also sometimes coyotes. Fishers are a kind of weasel. I think maybe the fisher is the weird one because I feel like they're really, I don't remember how big they are. Pine martens are big. Weasels are small. I don't remember how big a fisher is. I don't know either. Apparently they attack by going for the face as opposed to the body. So we've all learned something today. <laughs> it's a bold move. Just yep. attacking something straight up in its face. I think <laughs> there's not a lot of quills on a porcupine face. That actually might make sense. Yeah. It is a very weasel move, though. I feel like everything that they do, you're like, wow, that is audacious. <laughs> it's like audacious, and you're also like kind of a dick move. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, those two things really do go together, I feel like. <sighs> cool. Do you have anything else here? I have one more thing, which is um, because we get a journey reference, I am honor bound as a Detroiter to tell everyone who does not live in the Midwest <laughs> that you cannot take a midnight train anywhere from Detroit because the railway system in the United States sucks in general, but especially in the Midwest. So I thought you were going to talk about how you can't be from South Detroit. Oh, I mean, you can't be from South Detroit because South Detroit is Windsor. Um, and you could be from Southwest Detroit, but there is no South Detroit. <laughs> um, but more, I think more. what more angers me is that you can't take a midnight train anywhere, which is very angry to me. <laughs> you could get a like five o'clock train to Ann Arbor. And <laughs> <laughs> uh, like maybe and like I think I think Chicago, I think you used to get a train to Chicago. And that's like the only place you can go by train, like a direct train. So. Makes sense. Anyway, yeah, the railways really suck here. They're a joke, which is weird considering how much blood is in the U.S. rail 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 history. Yep. One time, I looked into taking a train from New Orleans to Austin, and it like came back, and it was like thirty six hours, and I was like, "The fuck!" And it was because it was going to make me go to Chicago and then back to Texas. <laughs> I was like, "What is happening?" Yeah, I took it's a like a six hour drive. <laughs> I took a train from Detroit to Boston once, which uh, you have to take a like a, they they have like a charter bus from the train station in Detroit to Toledo in order to get on a train that goes east <laughs> because for some reason there's not a train that goes south. <laughs> yep. Um, and then, yeah, it took like, I th yeah, it took like forever. Like it took like 12 hours or 14 hours or something. Cause there was like a layover, but I like had a bunch of time off and was like, fuck it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Everyone who's listening in other countries right now is like appropriately horrified. Whatever you're feeling, you should probably be feeling more horrified about our rail system and our public transit in general here. It's terrible. It's so yeah. terrible. Yeah, we all have to drive and it sucks. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> yeah. And on that note. <laughs> <laughs> and and seen our heroes were realize about driving in the United States. <laughs> God, I can't wait. I can't wait. It's going to be so great. Uh, it's like one of the best parts of this book. <laughs> yep. <sighs> 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Escape from Reality Part 2, Gayward Sun. Uh, next <laughs> time, we are going to be reading chapters 4, 5, and 6. So read those in preparation. Uh, this podcast and our other podcast, The Gaily Prophet, where we talk about Harry Potter, are both creations of Hashtag Ruthless Productions and are produced, mixed, and edited by me. Um... You should take some time to write and review us if you love us as much as we love you. <laughs> uh, and, you know, tell all your friends. It's your holiday guilt trip from your uh, queer aunt and uncle. <laughs> <laughs> uh, tell all your friends and maybe that one cool family member in your family about our podcast. And uh, if you feel like it, maybe share our stuff, like our stuff on social media. We are on Instagram and Twitter at the gaily prophet uh we can be found on our website which is hashtag ruthless.com which is where you can find like pretty much anything you could want including our badass merch which you could get someone for a present for christmas or belated hanukkah or because it's cold out and you like giving presents when people are bummed or whatever get it for yourself all of the above early kwanzaa i'm just saying yeah (laughs) uh check it out hashtag ruthless.com that's also where you can help us out with transcriptions um if you just want to look at instagram videos of whatever cats i currently have <laughs> you can find me on instagram at live from detroit and on twitter at jesse underscore detroit i can be found on the internet on instagram at lark malachi or on my website which is larkmalachi.com and i would like to remind you to keep an eye out because i will soon be doing a kickstarter for my tarot deck which is called under the bed tarot and it's going to be very exciting the music in our theme song is by kevin mcleod and the rest of it is bohemian rhapsody by queen and until next time scatamoosh